Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Godcast. My name is Father Alex. I am the host, and I'm also the vicar of St. Matthew's Church in Burnley, and I'm also the author of Our Daily Bread from Argos to the Altar, a priest story which is out now, and you can find that online and in all good bookshops. My guest today on the Godcast is Trey Hall. Uh, Trey is the director of Mission and Evangelism within the Methodist Church. He's also a regular contributor to Zoe Ball's Breakfast Show, where he uh, presents a thought for the day on a frequent basis. And he is also the uh, host of the podcast uh, Hope and Anchor, which I've actually been a guest on, and I'll put a link on uh, to this uh, interview. So enjoy this interview now with uh, with Trey Hall. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Trey, it's wonderful to welcome you to the Godcast today. How are you? I'm really, really good. It's great to see you, Alex. Where's Where's home for you, Trey? I live in far north suburban London, sort of end of the Piccadilly line for folks okay. who know London. So uh, Oakwood, just uh, just a little walk north of Southgate in uh, North London. So people who who are picking this up or picking you up for the first time or hearing your dulcet tones will immediately recognise that's not a a London accent you've got it's going. Not on. A North London, it's not a North London accent at all, is it? So <laughs> tell us about the origins of Trey Hall. It's a West. <laughs> Uh, I love origin stories. Uh, it's a West Tennessee accent. So I'm from Memphis, which is the southwest corner of Tennessee in the South, raised in the South, uh, born in 1975, uh, stayed in the South till I went to, um, well, I stayed in South for uni and theology school and then moved to Chicago, uh, where mostly had my kind of ministry. I'm a, I'm a Methodist minister. Um, and I had most of my ministry there in Chicago as a pastor of churches in the city, and then also as a church planter or pioneer, as sometimes it's called over here in the UK. And then my husband is British. We met in London way back in our 20s and um, dated long distance for a while. Then he eventually moved to Chicago. We got married there. But he, his job, uh, he got a, he's a theological educator. He's a, an academic theologian and so he got a job teaching in Birmingham about nine years ago and so we moved from Chicago to Birmingham I'd never been to Birmingham before uh, landed there and just um, yeah loved it but then about five years ago I started working for the Methodist Church at um, at Church House which is sort of like the one place of the leadership of, of Methodism um, so yeah that's a potted history of Trey at least professionally um, <laughs> Was it was it easy to move to the UK? Was it a difficult transition for you? You know, because I lived here, I, I did live here for a year when I was in my, my early mid-20s for an internship. And so I, I always loved the UK. And then, of course, marrying a Brit. Um, I was here kind of every year visiting family. So it was, it, it, culturally, I, it wasn't a big, big, big deal because I was, you know, knew the culture. Um, I think there's a sense of, always a sense for anybody who leaves their home land or home country, there's always going to be an essential, at least in my experience, an essential homesickness that changes um, as you get enculturated in the new place, but never really goes away. So I love Britain. Um, I love I love British people. I love the people who live in Britain who aren't British, you know, um, immigrants, migrants. Um, but I I uh, I will always have a place in my heart for the States. And who knows, maybe we'll move back there uh, again one day the problem with the transatlantic couple a married couple is one of us is always going to be homesick 
for the other wherever we live you know one partner is going to be homesick so we're in we're in a little bit of a conundrum but yeah but i'm i'm good i love britain uh, and i get home enough to the states to get my fix of you know all things fried and too salted <laughs> and you know, all the things i miss culinary wise trey you've you've uh identified that your partner is is a man um so you're you, you know people may again be discovering for the first time that you're you're a gay man can can i ask how you um find that experience of being a gay christian different in the uk to perhaps in america are there differences a good question i don't know that i would hmm. i came out when i was at, at uni uh in 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 the mid 90s and um i came out because well, because I am gay, that's what, you know, that was the, that's the foundational reality is like eventually I had something to come out about. Um, again, it's been almost 30 years now, but um, one of the reasons, one of the things that helped me come out was I had become part of a, a, a Christian ministry, an ecumenical Christian ministry, uh, which means many different Christian traditions together. And I'd become part of that and, and gotten really, really serious about my faith um, I hadn't been raised in a really church-going family. I had some intersection with the church uh, in high school, but it, at uni was where I got really serious about my faith and claimed um, claimed Jesus as my as my you know to use AA language. I'm also a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Jesus is my higher power, uh, and and became part of the church in a formal way and committed myself to following Jesus and to becoming a minister. Um, but it was because of that experience, both an experience, a direct experience of grace and an, an experience of spiritual assurance in me that I was loved beyond belief by God and the experience of a community of disciples, of followers who were very, very kind of diverse. I would say that it was unusual in the mid nineties in Tennessee at this big state school for all these folks, liberals, conservatives, people who were exploring Christianity for the first time. And so I came into my my adulthood in that kind of community. And that community really helped me come out of the closet. So a lot of folks, and this is a this this is a true story too, a lot of folks who were raised in organized religion, I hope this is happening less and less, but in my generation, certainly in generations before, would come out of the closet, might be people of faith, come out of the closet and have experiences of feeling marginalized, excluded and not just feeling marginalized and excluded but being marginalized and excluded and so would feel for their own health or journey to they need to leave that organized religion which is a deep 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 sadness and grief and you know and, and anger for me in a holy holy way i hope but my story thanks be to all the things fortune and luck and maybe god though it's hard for me to see god sort of saying trey it's going to be good for you but bad for all these other lgbtq people but through some mix of uh, whatever, I, I'm really grateful that my experience of, of Christian community helped me come out of the closet. So that was a, that was so pivotal. And I have to say, the states in the in the in the 90s, in the 80s, 90s, and even up to the 2000s, even now, still some, to some degree, is in a culture war, at least within the church and other organized religions around LGBTQ folks. I think that's less of a thing here in Britain. It's still a thing here, obviously, um, in some traditions more than others, but um, it's certainly still a thing here. The difference is, I think, in the States, the general population, the general society is still, uh, it's definitely more open, but there's still some polarization there around sexuality, gender identity. 
here, I think that's a reality, but I think society at large is much less divided on that. And um, the churches still struggle with it, understandably. But I think it, here, you know, I have neighbors of all kinds of political persuasions, religious and not, who know that Jonathan and I are a couple on the street and just treat us like a normal couple, which is lovely. So I think it's a little better here. And 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 you hold this quite senior role within the Methodist Church, Trey, don't you? Director of uh, Mission and Evangelism, that's right. Is, is that right? I'm the director of evangelism and growth. My my boss is the head of mission, so okay. uh, she's fabulous. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm the director of evangelism and growth. So, but it is a, it is a, it is a. I guess it's we I say it's a middle middle senior level. You know, it has. A, I have a lot of um, responsibility for working with people across the church, um, in areas like evangelism, starting new churches, pioneering discipleship and spirituality, a digital ministry. Um, church growth, church change, transformational leadership. I always say it's all the good stuff, really. <laughs> it's the internal stuff around our own discipleship and spirituality. It's the community engagement stuff, and it's the, the making the church a healthier place stuff. So it's great. So I do have a, a, I do have an, um, a serious role in the church. Yeah. And do you see that role beyond the the Methodist church? I mean, I, you know, I'm just thinking about my own role. I'm, you know, I'm on general synod in the church of England and we've got these raging debates about uh, blessing of gay relationships and things. And of course the Methodist church is uh, taking that step, uh, not just to uh, uh, pray and bless weddings, but to affirm same sex relationships. What's your perspective when you look across at the church of England, Trey, because our churches are quite united in many ways, aren't they? We do lots of ecumenical stuff together. What, what do you feel? And because I think you're you're quite an inspirational figure to, particularly to the LGBTQ plus I community, who are looking for encouragement and supporters and hope. And um, there's quite a lot there. But what's your thoughts? Well, you know, I would never as a as a I'm deeply committed to ecumenism, to ecumenical relationships, and um, have those relationships personally and professionally, representatively across many, many traditions. And I I have a deep respect for a sincere respect that every church, whilst um, we're united in Christ and in an you know a, a common mission in, in many, many ways, but that we we do find ourselves a lot in different circumstances. And so I would never, while my longing is of course that the Church of Jesus Christ, across the world would continue being a church because of the gospel that is more inclusive, more committed to justice, more committed to helping loads more people claim and know and experience the grace of Jesus Christ and love of God. You know, those are, those are the things I get, I, I'm really, really passionate about. Um, but I, I know from my own experience in the Methodist church that change takes time, lots of care and prayer, um, and so that that's my longing, you know, for the whole church, the whole church of Jesus Christ, Anglicans, Baptists, Roman Catholics, and not just around LGBTQ issues, but, you know, issues, all kinds of, of they're not even issues, are they? Questions of human, um, uh, human life around uh, economic marginalization, around um, migration and immigration, you know, so my own experience as a, as a, as a gay man has, I, I, I'm so grateful to be gay. I'm so grateful that God made me gay. Um, I'm so grateful that I'm uh, a recovering alcoholic because in, in those experiences, I've come to 
I feel like I've been given a little bit more of a lens of what it's like to, you know, um, I don't want to say be excluded because I think that's part of the reality, but a, a, a lens of being seen sometimes as a, as a problem in an institution that I really love. Um, and so uh, my own um, my own journey is that uh, as a as a gay man is that my experience is caught up with loads of other folks, um, straight, gay, cisgendered, transgendered, you know, people of every ethnicity and and race, abled and um, disabled, uh, neurodiversity. That, that we are all we are all caught up. I believe in this wonderful, beautiful thing called the kingdom of God, and that more will, will be revealed the longer we're able to sort of stay open to God and open to each other across difference. So um, I would never want to tell the C of E what to do to answer your question, because I know that people of good conscience are, are wrestling with it. I'm really proud that the Methodist church in Britain, um, not always, not all around the world yet, but the Methodist church in Britain has said, you know, we we believe that, and they said this for a long time, that the ministry of gay and lesbian people, this is language from the 90s before we started using language around bisexuality and trans language, but that from the 90s, they celebrated the ministry of LGBT, of lesbian and gay people, um, whilst also, you know, trying to wrestle with folks who didn't, couldn't affirm that. And so I think the Methodist Church has been its own holy wrestling and holy conferencing for a long time. Even now, you you reference this decision that the Methodist Church is now not just blessing or praying for LGBTQIA folk, but um, you know, ordination, marriage is all um, you know celebrated. And I think that is true uh, in a, in, a, in a general sense. But of course, there are some churches that that will be making decisions and discerning who who will not you know um, choose to marry folks of the same gender. In their churches so there is we're, we're a church that's connectional that is we're a church that sort of has some shared mission priorities but there's still a lot of diversity in the methodist church too so anyway that's a long answer to your question yeah but there are i mean there are parallels aren't there and you and the methodist church takes position that if people don't want to uh, uh bless affirm marry gay couples then they they don't have to is that what has been the response from the con more conservative side of them Methodist Church in England, Trey, um, have have has there been a a way of kind of um, uh, the word settlement has been used in the Church of England recently? You know, uh, is it does the tension sit quite nicely at the moment, or you know, is there still a raging debate within the Methodist Church? I mean, I don't. Labels are always helpful and unhelpful. So I think conservative is not a language I would use. I know what you mean, but I think there are people. Who are theologically conservative or theologically more traditional or theologically progressive who are really supportive of uh, celebrating the marriages of lgbtq folks and that there are folks you know who who aren't i think there have been a few churches this is public you know that have left and decided to go independent or you know join other fellowships and that's a, a place um whilst i lament that and and really do grieve. I, 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 I'm someone who believes that we can hold together, and 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 seek justice, um, a gospel justice. Um, but you know, there's there are a few churches that have left. We haven't seen a major split, um, to be honest. Um, 
people are hanging in. And I think one of the one of the ways we've been able to hold together is by really saying something really clearly. The Methodist Church allows, you know, X, Y, Z. It's not just LGBTQ inclusion, whilst also preserving a local, uh, a local uh, re reverencing a local, the local expression and, and the, 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 the discernment of each church and congregation. I think that's a that's a help, potentially helpful middle way um, via Medea. The Anglicans want to claim that, right? That a middle way uh, of holding together. I, you know, that that seems to be working for the Methodist Church right now. Um, I would not want to read that on to the Anglican Communion or the C of E because, again, I don't know that context, and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make any assumptions about that. But it's working for the Methodist Church in Britain right now. Um, I was at a conference last weekend, uh, two weekends ago, uh, we had a big evangelism mission conference and it was so beautiful because we, we had a, a beautiful experience of all kinds of different theologies sort of holding together. We, we made a decision at that conference not to try to sort of sand down our discourse into one sort of common denominator. We will only refer to God in this, this way, but we sort of let, let the room be. And, you know, there are 200, 250 people in dialogue praising God. And it was just wonderful to look out over that crowd, over that congregation, if you will, and to see people that I know are really struggle with, you know, um, celebrating marriage, for example, of LGBTQ folks who were there on a spiritual journey in Christ together, who were there, they were there. And then I know people, I could look across the room and see, you know, women and men and non-binary folks who had been really wounded by their experience of church and they were there too. And um, I don't mean that in a sense like everyone's, it's all okay, we're all together, so justice doesn't matter or inclusion doesn't matter. But I mean, there was a sense of from our own location, from our own place, those folks were there uh, and, and trying to um, come together for common mission whilst also saying, this is who we are. And I think that's 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 a pretty healthy way of moving into con conflictual situations as as you know it's really much i think it's really mature um yeah. i also want to say i do you know really at the end of the day respect people's consciences you know and i think that's so important that you know at the end of the day the individual conscience the personal conscience and the the discerned conscience of the of the body the, the congregation so important you know i've i've known lots of lgbtq folks who for their own sanity and health and well-being have had to leave church experiences because of what the and i i don't like to use really um hyped language but i i in this case i just know their stories so well uh from years of pastoring lgbtq folks you know the trauma and abuse that they experienced in some christian contexts um and they needed to leave you know and then there's the whole swathe of folks who experience maybe not abuse or trauma, but just being ignored, not being acknowledged, not being uh, known deeply. Um, and that's that has a that's not as deep a cut, but it's, it's just as painful over time. So um, I do lament that that is the reality. And I, I long, you know, I, at the end of the day, people say, what do you think about the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ? Um and in terms of LGBT, you know, inclusion and, and the people who may, may be against that. And I say with great humility, 
as someone whose mind and life has been changed on a whole bunch of things outside of LGBTQ questions, I have been changed. I have been, uh, you know, I have seen my own um, complicity and structures that have been unhelpful and unhealthy for people. Um, so my longing is that I pray for the conversion of people who don't think that LGBTQ folks should be celebrated or leaders in the church. I, I do pray for their conversion. I want to be honest about that. I pray for their conversion, but that's God's work and their work and not mine. Well, we'll amen to that, uh, Trey, most, most certainly from my my perspective. Trey, you mentioned a few minutes ago your uh, connection with Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and you said that you were proud that you could speak about that. Are you happy to share with you the, the story of, of that? You know, I'm a Christian man. Sure. You know, just, just tell our listeners and watchers about that, if you would. Happy to. Um, just to say at the outset, like my experience of Alcoholics Anonymous, there are lots of, I think there are lots of different ways to get sober. If that's, if, if you're struggling with an addiction, if, if you're, if people who are listening or watching are struggling with addiction of any kind, a substance, uh, a process, a behavior, there are loads of ways to get sober or clean. For me, AA really worked. Um, so I just want to say that, you know, I loved when I, I went to uni, I was a really, really shy, nerdy kid growing up. And I, I it's sort of really kind of reflective, tender hearted, gentle, deeply, deeply shy. Uh, though I could, I could perform and I could, you know, whatever, but I was in, I was just deeply insecure. And some of that insecurity was, I think, being, being closeted growing up. And that's one of the, just for people who are watching, being a closeted kid going through puberty is the, is so painful because you don't have this, like, oh, you, you can't develop in the way that, you know, kids who are you know, uh, able to sort of be expressive and, and safe about their expression. You so say you just, there's all this kind of deep, Oh, it's a horrible, horrible experience. Anyway, when I went to uni <laughs> and- uh, that's still, That still touches you, Trey, doesn't it? Oh, it does. And just, I've, it does. I can see that that young Trey and I just long, like, I wish for all kids that, you know, they could discern, like learn about themselves as people who are wholeheartedly beautiful and sexual and, you know, sexuality is a gift from God, you know? And like, to be able to hold, I just think I never got to hold a-, a a boy's hand growing up in the way that lots of my straight friends got to hold hands and learn how to hug and kiss and, you know, to, to sort of navigate their own lives. So yeah, I do feel that pain. But when I went to uni, I said, I became seriously committed to Christianity. I came out and I also discovered alcohol, which was fabulous. I mean, it's like, you know, it really helped me move. I say from the, the being a wallflower at parties onto the center of the dance floor and alcohol really helped me. I have to say that like, I don't think I, I drank necessarily in an alcoholic way at uni, maybe a little bit towards the end, but it, it became an elixir of freedom. Like it helped me, it changed the way I felt. And that's uh, that's why I drank because it changed the way I felt and it helped me be more outgoing and sociable. And in some ways I really, I'm really grateful to alcohol for the courage it gave me in those early years to help me sort of come out of my own shell and to be comfortable in my own skin and to talk to boys, which I hadn't learned to do as a closeted kid. So I remember like the first time I kissed a boy in a dance floor and I was like, oh my God, you know, I don't know that I would have done that if, you know, you know, you know, all the movies, all the teen movies of like the lean in for the kiss at the prom or whatever, like that never happened to me. So like leaning in at uni on a dance floor and kissing a boy was like, oh, if I hadn't had a couple of beers beforehand, I don't know if I would have done that. So thank God for alcohol, right? Um, but the, the, the short story is that 
it's a long story, but the short version of it is eventually alcohol stopped working for me in that way. It became not something that freed me up or um, made me courageous. It's something that did the very opposite. It it, it turned against me to, to sort of personify it. And it, where it, for the first few years of drinking, it brought me into relationship, into community. Eventually it was became a really um, enchaining, uh, locking thing that brought me into, you know, a, sort of exclusion in my house, isolation. I was just drinking alone. Uh, and my, my drinking mostly happened alone. I might have a couple of drinks with some friends after work or after a meeting and then um, end up in my, you know, flat on the back uh, balcony, drinking too much wine and smoking too many cigarettes, which is to say any more than one cigarette is too many, you know, and, and, but wishing it would stop. And, and that happened, that was happened for years. And I had a lot of shame because I was a pastor and, you know, I didn't, I couldn't stop. I tried to stop drinking for like, you know, this is back, this is back years ago now, but before they had dry January, but like, I tried to stop drinking for January for new year for Lent. And I could stop for a few days or maybe a month, but I could never stay stopped. My problem wasn't stopping drinking. As we say in AA, my problem was staying stopped. Most people can stop for a couple of days, but I could never stay stopped. And I went to AA because I was actually, to be honest with you, I was writing a sermon we were doing a sermon series at the church I was pastor of on addictions and grace. And I thought I might do some research, you know, for the sermon. And I went to this AA meeting and I thought, I thought I was going to find like a group of miserables, people who were whining and whinging and complaining and blaming other people for their problems. But what I found in that room was just, just deep joy and honesty and people telling the truth about what had happened to them and telling the truth in, in, in detail, but also not like mired by it there was also this kind of freedom pulsing through the room and I just cried I, I'm not a real crier I wish I could cry more but in that room I remember crying and hearing these testimonies it was a big meeting there's probably 100 200 people there but I went back out and I though I'd been touched by that I, I wasn't ready to give up yet so it was a couple more years uh, in my early 30s I came into the program and um, what works for me about AA is uh, there is a real somewhat somewhat um, simple, but still quite sophisticated understanding of how addiction works, which is that there is a mental obsession, which uh, I identify with, right? I, when, I, when I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking and I, 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 when am I gonna get my next drink? And I might be able to hold off to the end of the day or to the holiday or to the weekend, but I was thinking about it, I was obsessed with it. And from the moment then I put the alcohol in my body, there was like this chain reaction that happened. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. So this mental obsession, oh, I've got to have a drink. And then once I started to drink, who knows where it would go. Sometimes I could stop after a few, but most of the times it would turn into this. And then also drink AA is really clear about a spiritual malady is how we talk about it. So the drinking or whatever the addiction that people have is, is just a symptom of a deeper problem. And that was really sophisticated. So like, yeah, the alcohol is your, is, is your kind of uh, is your problem but your deep problem is like spiritual dis-ease spiritual discontentedness and so AA is a spiritual program and you can only by AA you can only get healthy you can only get sober and stay sober by working this basically it's called the 12 steps which is a process of spiritual transformation and I love it uh, it's very simple it's very straightforward it requires some work on our parts but it's also divine, divinely inspired. And I, I think the thing I'll stop now, the two things that I love about AA, one, 
I experienced the miracle of not drinking. I've, that's been almost 15 years. Uh, not only have I not had a drink in 15 years, I have not wanted to drink. So I experienced a healing of my, I don't desire to drink anymore. I could, I could, if you came to my house, Alex, I'd, I'd mix you a martini and have no desire mm. to drink it. I, it doesn't have that hold on me. So that I celebrate that miracle. Yeah. I, I used to be suspicious of miracles, like skeptical, but I, I believe in them. Yeah. And the second thing is I love by AA is that it's people across the spiritual spectrum, agnostics, atheists, people of many religions and none, spiritual but not religious people who are experiencing something that is not themselves changing them. And people talk about their higher power in really different ways, but I don't know another place. I've never experienced another place in this entire world where people get together who have a problem, have a challenge and are finding life who have very, very different theologies and very different experiences or encounters of their higher power, but are, are together. It is joy. When I meet in that room with those folks, I go to lots of meetings a week. I feel to use Christian language, I feel, and I mean, it, I feel it. I feel the Holy spirit blow through something changes when we come together and, and get real. Yeah. Well, I've, I've completely diverted from my questions as I normally do Trey, but I think this is an Im important subject. And I just want to kind of finish this little bit about uh, addiction is, is um, I interviewed uh, Chris Difford, the guy from squeeze who, who, uh, who said that he had to find out where his rock bottom was. And it was mm -hmm. only when he found his rock bottom, um, and fell to his knees that he could find a way back up. What was your spiritual rock bottom? You know, because some people may be surprised to hear that you were a pastor and you were drinking, you were a Christian, you were drinking. What was what was the spiritual yeah. rock bottom in all that for you? You know, I think the rock bottom is helpful language. That just means the place where you accept that you can't, nothing in your power will help you. That's that's what a rock bottom is. Just for those who are listening, it's it's the place where you accept that I can't do this by myself. And some people have really dramatic rock bottoms. Like they're like, they find themselves, you know, they wake up in someone else's bed in a different country. You know, they're like, oh, shit, shit. You know, I don't know if we can cuss on the crap, you know, whatever. Like I, I, I'm, this is my bottom. Lots of other folks I know in, in the program of AA have much more ordinary rock bottoms. And, and that was definitely my case. It just, it was a series of months really of just, as we say in the program, just finally realizing I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I can't do this anymore. For me, it was really, uh, I had stopped drinking for about three months um, on my own steam. I had, I was what we call white knuckling. I was like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And I did that for three months. Mind you, I was like exercising compulsively chain smoking at the same time so like i just we did it's a cross addiction so like i wasn't drinking but i was smoking three packs of marbles a day and running like a half marathon every day so like some real addictive stuff going on there right compulsive energy and then i was going to run a half marathon and i got uh, on the way to pick up my race bib for the race the next day i was this is in chicago i was cycling to the navy pier to get my race bib and i got knocked off my bike by a car and i wasn't injured terribly but I did have a really uh, an injury in my leg that made me impossible, made it impossible for me to run the next day. And as soon as I got home that night, having been injured, I opened a bottle of wine and drank and I drank for another couple of weeks. And then one day I woke up and I was just like, it was, it was a Saturday morning. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. 
I've had enough. So for me, it wasn't dramatic. It was just sort of the accrual of lots and lots of hungover mornings. And just finally, at the age of 33, saying, I mean, to use really salty language, this is uh, this is this is Anne Lamott's language. Fuck it. Help me, Jesus. You know, I can't do this by myself. And I think that that kind of like, fuck it, was a sense of like, I can't do this by myself. That was my bottom. So it's not very dramatic. It's not a great story. When I would tell the story of my bottom in AA meetings, when I when I gave my first lead, your first lead or your first chair is when you tell your your story in AA. It's based on testimony. It's basically yeah. all you hear is like experience, strength, and hope. What what happened and what are you like now? And uh, when I told <laughs> told my story the first time, there was this little it's in Chicago. This little Irish lady called I'll call her Rhoda. Um, and she, she, she was like, when I described that as my bottom, my rock bottom, she's like, that's your bottom. Because <laughs> it was so, it's not dramatic, but yeah. I think but, lots but the, of folks who have addictive problems don't have dramatic stories. They just I think have that's a, I think that's a really important thing to recognize, Trey. And, and um, you know, I've, I've had numerous people who've had addiction problems on the Godcast. And um, just to bring this section to, to a close, we're running out of time, but mm. people who are, who might just be one person watching this with, a very undramatic addiction, you know, mm. that kind of goes under the radar. Well, what would you say to that person who, who might be tuned in and watching this and thinking, gosh, that's me? Exactly. If you think you have a problem, you probably do, is what I'd say. Like, if it's if it's something you've thought about before, you, you might want to investigate that. Um, and I would say, as a member of AA, get to an AA meeting and just, that's what I'd say. And there are AA meetings every in every place in this whole country. You can go online, find a meeting, get to a meeting, which may be the scariest thing you've ever done in your life, but get to a place where people know what you're going through. And you may decide you're not an alcoholic. You may decide that you're not an addict or you don't have an eating disorder, you know, but get to a place where people who are have asked those questions themselves and are doing it in a really loving and honest and non-judgmental way and just get there. And if you can, when you get there, just say to someone in the room, this is my first time here and I have no idea what's going on and see what happens and just see what happens. That's what I would say. Get to a meeting, get to a place for me, get to a place where you're not contending with your anger or your frustrations or your shame or your guilt just in your head. Get to a place where you're not holding it within get to a place where people who know what's going on can can meet you there and for me that was the beginning of liberation to realize oh what i'm experiencing is something that lots of other people experience it's not i mean it's a big deal in a sense that you know it's a big deal but it's not that big welcome to being human this is there's no shame in being an alcoholic get to a place so that's what i would say yeah. or look me up, look or look me up yeah. on this on this godcast you know, email Father Alex or just Google me and reach out to me and I'll help you get connected. I really will. It's my joy. It'd be my joy and privilege to do that. Yeah, that's lovely. Th thanks, Trey. And and uh, where people might not recognize the face, they might recognize the voice. You're, you're a regular feature on uh, Radio 2 with Zoe Ball and I've had numerous people on. Uh, uh, um, Matt Wood Woodcock's been on, who does Radio 2, and uh, Paul Carenza was on last week with us. So yeah, just tell us about the joy of that that little ministry going on there, Trey. Well, what a joy it is to be invited. I'm on I'm on sort of a few few months a year. Uh, so the 715 pause for thought. And for those who don't listen to Radio 2, you should. It's great, great radio station. 
pause for thought is um, just a sort of a two or three minute reflection on spirituality or faith. It's people of all different faiths, uh, all different spiritualities. It's wonderful. I love it. I mean, it's what what a gift to be able to get on the um, on the airwaves and to to reflect on big stuff uh, like like God or spiritual spirituality and to do that from a place of in my own experience. Um, I love it. I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm an evangelist, so of course I'm going to love talking about God, but I love doing it. I think there are lots of people in this nation, in these nations, um, who don't identify as people who would tick the religious box on the census, you know, who may identify as no, no religion, but people, my belief, Alex, is that people are, human beings are spiritual people. And we talk about that in different ways. And I believe deeply that God, I say this as a Christian, God is active in the life of every human being. God is moving and active and breathing in the life of every human being. And that we, people talk about that in different ways, but that is just one of my, I, I wouldn't put that belief on anybody else, but I, I believe that deeply. So I feel like when I'm talking on the radio, I think it's 8 million people who tune into the morning show, not all listening to me, of course, but you know, listening to the show, they had, um, Andrew Scott and Paul Meskel on this week. Those are the people people tune on 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 to, not not to me. But you know, if I'm speaking to these eight million people across Europe or the people that are listening, I one of my core beliefs is God is already moving in them. They are already there because because they're human beings. Because we're human beings, you know, beautiful things are happening. And so I feel just so again lucky and fortunate to be able to invite people into the conversation about what that might feel like, what, whatever their religion is. It's I real completely, I great too. Yeah, <laughs> I completely agree Agree with you. You know, I think, you know, ever since I got my dog collar in 2015, people want to talk about God. And they might not want to agree with me. They might not hold the same theology. They might have all sorts of questions. But they all want a conversation, you know, even when I, I don't want to sometimes, you know, and it's kind of, okay, it's out there. And then, and then, well, that's also... Yeah, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. Go, go. Say, that's what's so cool. That's what's so cool about your 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 Godcast is that you have people, uh, you know, uh, celebrities and you know sports folks and people of all different kinds of uh, walks in life who come on to do just that. People like to talk about God, you know, because God is interesting. They might not even call it God, you know, but like, yeah. So that's that. This whole podcast is your observation. That that's how people are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I have a rule where everybody's welcome because everybody is a, a son or daughter of God and they're welcome at the Godcast. So uh, get in touch if you'd like to take part. But uh, finally, Trey, you've got the you've got the podcast, Hope and Anchor podcast, which I, you were kind enough to invite me on uh, a year yeah. or two ago. And how's that going? You've got plans for more coming up or? Yeah, we've just we've been up, done three series now. We did a series in lockdown on Facebook, which was a video series. So Hope and Anchor is a podcast really about conversations with people across spiritual difference about the spirituality running through everything. So I co-host it uh, as a Christian with my uh, friend Jazz Ampal Farr, who's an amazing speaker, who's not uh, not a church goer, not a, it doesn't identify that way. And so she's an unaffiliated person, someone who doesn't tick the, that box in the census. And so we sort of share conversation with, uh, people, uh, you know, who are inter doing interesting things who are, I think, interested in spirituality from, you know, a British Lebanese comic to, a you know, a winner of, um, the Bake Off to, you know, all kinds of people. Um, and it's great. So we've done three ser series, 
and we're starting this spring um, with the next series, which will not be a series, but we're going to try to, we're going to move to doing a dropping it sort of like we've learned from you, uh, Alex, we're going to be dropping every, every week. So there'll be something dropped every week. So we can sort of hopefully build the engagement, uh, particularly with people who aren't interested in religion, but might be open to the spiritual conversation. Fabulous. Well, Trey, I've, I've loved this 40 minutes or so chatting to you. Um, you know, a, a Christian there who's got uh, some real stories, and some humanity and, uh, and and like Trey says, reach out to him or, or reach out to me if we can assist you with anything. But for now, Trey, thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Alex.